0: Hey folks, thanks for joining me for this episode of the Embellished Podcast, a podcast focused on product stories, product storytellers, interesting brand ambassadors, and anything else we happen to come up with. Whether you're a bourbon fan, a geek, a casual observer, or someone just floating through this channel, I hope you find it interesting. If you got here by chance, please take a moment to hit the subscribe button. Hopefully that can be found on any podcasting platform that exists, and if you can't find me on a platform, send me an email at embellishpod at gmail.com, and I'll try to get that taken care of. Also, I generally live-stream the recording of these episodes on YouTube. You can find all of my links on Instagram at EmbellishPod or Twitter with the same handle. I have a website. It is www.embellishpod.com. It's a place to pick up these links, episode details, and more. Today is Tuesday, November the 18th, and we're going to be talking about and with uh, Black Button Distilling. We're going to talk about Empire Rye. And I've, I've said this a number of times, but I think that innovation in the whiskey marketplace, specifically in the United States is going to increasingly come from craft distillers and maybe even more specifically craft distillers that sort of have a, a similar mindset. And they kind of set on a, a path towards a standard similar to what Empire Rye is. Um, if I think about American single malt, Indiana Rye, um, Pennsylvania Rye, Empire Rye, these are all things. And so that's gonna be part of today's conversation, but um, when I started digging into Empire Rye, because that's, you know, I'm I'm in Kentucky. Uh, I don't know a ton of things about Empire Rye yet, uh, aside from what's published out there. I reached out to, to to Black Button and Alex got back to me really, really quickly. And so I'll let Alex kind of introduce himself and then we'll get into the meat of it.
1: Yeah, no, know hey John. Thanks for having me on. Uh, I work with Black Button Distilling out of Rochester, New York. Um, so we're a grain-to-glass distillery using 100% New York-grown grains for all of our mainline spirits. Uh, and Empire Rye is one of our uh, our big kind of love projects we got put on early on in the Empire Rye movement as one of the original six distillers. Um, so my job, I work with our production team and uh, marketing and sales, and I manage the barrels, the blends that we do, also kind of our used barrel sales. So I got very fortunate. I get my hands on kind of anything from when it's at the barrel or when it comes out of the barrel and all the great aged goods coming out of Rochester, New York.
0: Awesome. And, um, curiously enough, one of my coworkers was actually based, um, near Rochester for a while. She, she's back in Western okay. Kentucky. And so we sat down and talked about your distillery a little bit, cause she had actually had a few things from you guys, but, um, you, you, you have this, you, you kind of mentioned your grain to glass and what, what does the grain to glass mean for you guys? Because it can vary by distillery to distillery. It can mean that you're the actual farm or that you partner very closely with or contract with an actual grower, or you're just sourcing it from a, from a local location. So kind of which one of those things or what variation of it do you guys kind of feel there?
1: Yeah, I mean, grain to glass. I mean, we also say farm to bottle. Um, I think we have a couple different ways we like to look at how we work. Um, So we focus on uh, using local producers that are very close to us. So in New York, we're a part of what's called a farm license, which means we have to use at least 75% New York grown ingredients to get that license. Uh, It allows us to work with other farm producers, we can actually act as a liquor store and bar, as long as we use only farm produced products in New York State. So I can carry... Brewery, winery, other distillery products at my tasting room and sell them right out the door, which is a nice advantage for us. Um, All of our grains are coming from Edgewood Farms, which is just down in Groveland, New York. That's probably 45 to an hour away from the distillery, right in the Finger Lakes. Um, All of that, where it was dug out by the glaciers. So they've got really, really deep soil beds they're working off of. Uh, Really great growing conditions for the corn, the wheat, the rye, and the malted barley that we're working with. Um, And we even have a local malt house that's right around them that actually does our malting. uh, Small family. You know, just a mom, dad and kids that run around this malt house uh, doing all this great malting for us and also providing our rye as well, um, which gets us into the Empire Rye a little bit.
0: Yeah. And so you guys use um and, and maybe don't exclusively use it, but for the Empire Rye um, on, on the bottling itself, it's, it indicates you're using Danko Rye. Um, was that something they were farming and you guys found worked well or did you did you partner with them and say, hey, we would like to see this particular one? Because there's a lot kind of being made of the variety of rye that's being grown. You know, if I think about what. Um, mammoth is doing with rose and rye and i think about you know a handful of other places everybody's talking about bruisey rye whatever um were they already there or did you kind of bring that change forward
1: ironically that's not the first thing that i know off the top of my head i know that we were looking for uh, this kind of a rye because it's big Mm -hmm. it's fat it's got great protein in it so it's going to bring over the character we want in the rye Um, And again, it just happened to be something, I believe it originated in Iowa. So that's going to be, you know, similar enough growing conditions that come into New York. Mm -hmm. Our climate's going to match that well enough so we can actually have a rye that's really hardy. And again, we're fortunate rye itself is a hardy growing grain. So it's something that works really well in a cold climate like New York State.
0: Yeah, and it (laughs) doesn't grow super well in our state at all. Um, So, yeah. um, you guys, so I want to kind of jump back a little bit to the distillery. I was, I was looking on your website and sure. um, you have the ability to, you know, blend your own bourbon, right? That was one of the experiences that was available on uh, the website. And that's something that not, not everybody's offering. Is that a, is that like a, a single bottle offering? Is that you got to do like multiple bottles or a barrel? Or you got to do a certain volume or is it, you know, like, how does that work?
1: point, I mean, we started doing this, uh, it kind of goes back to how we were trying to get consistency in our own batch to batch blending. So originally, you know, we're blending a couple of barrels at a time to make a batch of our four grain when we got to be a straight bourbon. Then we're saying we're taking a family of maybe 10 barrels, and we're putting those together. Um, you know, every time we are still focusing on being as good or better. Uh, but you know, barrel to barrel, we're going to find inconsistencies or slight changes. So we started a process of categorizing every barrel of our four grain mash bill as a sweet barrel, a spice barrel, an oak barrel, or what we call our fourth characteristic, which is base. All that means when we're talking about base, it's kind of got all of them. If you took it to a party, you wouldn't get kicked out. It's fine, but it, it's not unique or, or special enough to be put into one of the other ones or be considered a single barrel. So mm-hmm. we take those characteristics, we break them down into stainless tanks. And now we have these four tanks that are full of all of these different characteristics. So we can actually blend different percentages of the tanks together. And that's how we're actually custom blending our four grain bourbon. So we're looking for a certain characteristic in our market batch. And now we can actually offer, you know, you could come in yourself. Um, Generally right now, it's more on the store level, you know, 10 cases at a time or more. But we have done some smaller things for, you know, retired military who's, you know, just looking to do 10 bottles. We bring them in for the afternoon. Um, I'm hoping maybe Mm when we do move to our new location. We find a way to offer that more to the public. I think it'd be cool offering similar to like what Heaven Hill does.
0: Yeah. And so, um, you know, I I think about they have, you know, magnitudes of scale and the ability to kind of absorb these things. But even at 10 cases at a time, you're still looking at a a local bourbon group that gets together, you know, a group of guys that is a thing they can achieve, right? That's something that they could do um, as a group. It's not like you have to buy, you know, 500 bottles or a thousand bottles or whatever. Um, you've, You've got a number that kind of hits here. Um, so I, I noticed that you guys, you know, uh, do, do barrel finishing on your bourbon. Is there any interest in doing that with rye? Have you experimented with that? Is that a, um, is that an opportunity?
1: We haven't gone down the road with rye just cause rye is so hard to work with. Like we love rye. Mm-hmm. I love the character that comes out of a, of a batch of rye, but the actual grain itself, it's dusty, it's sticky. It's a mess to work with. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not very very constant massively large high uh my screen before i'm safe uh, I'm thinking I might turn my background off if it's causing issues here
0: yeah it 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 and it it very well could be my connection as well i've I've had spotty internet for the past two or three days too, so it could be me.
1: Let me just start this off. With, I'm willing to let everybody see my lovely basement and we'll keep going mm-hmm. from there. <laughs> no problem. All right. So let's see if that makes it any better. Um, either way. But yeah, we we play around with finishings. We, we definitely like doing bourbon finishings mm-hmm. as well. I think the idea of doing rye finishing is exciting. Um, and mm-hmm. soon, you know, we're, we're looking at doing kind of an experimental program as well. So we might be able to offer more of that down the line. But mm-hmm. today we just haven't mm-hmm. gotten that way.
0: So is the experimental program just across all of uh, of the distilled offerings you have? Or are you looking specifically in bourbon or rye or um, one other thing? Or is it just like, you know, we're, we want to experiment everywhere.
1: It's going to be more of experiment everywhere. Uh, I think we'll, sure. we're just going to see what we've got in the warehouse. You know, fortunately, we've already had stuff laid down that the distillers have said, hey, you know, let's try a different mash bill. Let, let's try a different yeast strain. Let's Let's finish in a new way that we haven't done. So, you know, we have a higher end finishing line. We do a port. Uh, we do a apple brandy. We're going to be coming out with a tequila soon. Those are kind of set at a higher end line that we're working off of. But now we also just want to kind of get down and dirty and just see what we can play with.
0: Yeah. Um, so you said you're you're moving to a, you're planning to move to or are moving to a, to a new location? Are you staying in the area, just looking at a bigger spot, or you open a second? Is this you know like what what does this growth look like?
1: So we're going to move into a new location about five minutes from where we're at right now. Um, we are an urban distillery. We kind of want to stay that way. I mean, Rochester is kind of at the heart of everything we do. So we're going from a spot that's about 5,000 square feet to a spot that's going to be 28,000 square feet. So the new tasting room will actually fit in the current distillery. So that's going to be pretty exciting <laughs> to be able to move into that much space. And now uh, pump out, you know, from four ba- barrels a batch, we could go to 20 plus barrels a batch um, when we start to run.
0: What is your, I guess, uh, what what is the opportunity for a person like me in Kentucky who's like, hey, I want to try anything Black Button has? Um, you know, sometimes craft distillers have a difficulty kind of stepping outside of regional offering because of logistics. You know, What does what your footprint look like? Do you have an online presence? Is that a thing?
1: Yep. So we are doing online. Uh, Kentucky is one of the states that's not too difficult to ship to, fortunately. We don't offer everything necessarily. I mean, mm-hmm. I love the i love the three tier system i'll say that live if we get off air i may tell you something different Uh, (laughs) but uh, we work with a good network of retail partners and mash and grape uh, who offers bar cart which is actually our platform Mm -hmm. that we ship through they the partners in new york are great i don't like to inundate them with too many things especially around the holidays Mm -hmm. but we do kind of do like you know maybe we'll put up 100 bottles of something that's available to ship out of state uh, Mm -hmm. and just kind of keep it limited and keep things flowing through so definitely opportunity
0: If I'm looking online, you know, I, I would imagine I could probably see the bourbon. I might be able to see the rye. Can I see the apple brandy as well?
1: The apple brandy finish, we did a limited. We might have a bottle or two kicking around. Um, mm-hmm. The pork finish, we normally keep up online. That one's a little bit more often that it's available. And then uh, the rye is always available as long as we have it in stock. The cask is always available. Uh, the four grain, 84 proof, our standard offering. So mm-hmm. a good portion, especially the whiskey. Um I and I think a lot of that just comes we're seeing people want to spend a higher dollar if they're going to be doing shipping anyways. Mm-hmm. So we'd rather offer them those higher end whiskeys, ho- offer our entire whiskey yeah. line so that you know they can get their hands on those products they're looking for.
0: If I'm going to have to pay for shipping, I'm going to go ahead and buy three or four bottles instead of just one, you know, cause I can spread that shipping cost out, even though it does scale up a little bit. It's not your biggest hit on shipping is the first bottle. And then everything after that is, 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 is a slight increase.
1: And we give free shipping on three bottles anyways, because we feel the oh, same. Perfect. If you're going to, you're going to invest in three bottles from us, you know, we'll cover right. the shipping. That makes sense to us.
0: That's awesome. So, um, kind of shifting a little bit, you know, we've talked about black button and you guys are one of the founding members of the empire, Rye, uh, whiskey association. Did I get that right?
1: Yep. We're one of the first six distilleries that started it. Yeah.
0: Okay. And so, um, kind of explain, I guess maybe the first part is right now there are 10 current distilleries that are a part of the, the Empire Rye um, group, and but there's 18 that are committed. What, what's the yeah. difference between those two numbers? Like, What does what is, what is committed versus a part of mean?
1: I think committed is just in barrel, mostly, mm-hmm. uh, or they're planning to produce. So, for instance, there's a, a new guy, New Scotland Distilling. I mean, he's at a, not far from where I'm at, Akron, New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's very small. He just started like a year and a half ago, right around the time the pandemic kind of kicked off, two years, I guess now. And he's just starting to put things in barrel, but he's either put something down or is committing himself to put something down okay so that makes it, sense yep
0: yeah that that was that was the one that i I had an idea of what it meant um, I just wasn't yeah. entirely sure, and so I guess uh, you know the 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 want and interest to kind of define these categories usually comes from a sense of heritage. Pennsylvania has a sense of heritage. Um, Indiana has their own sense of heritage. There's there's these things that are out there. So what is what is the history of um, the idea of Empire Rye? You know, kind of absent of the association, just like you know, hey, this is a thing that's that's rich to us in New York.
1: Yeah, I mean, Rye was probably. I think it just, in theory, was more prevalent than bourbon was in New York State before the uh, pre-Prohibition. So that was the grain that was more prevalent. It was the style of whiskey that was more prevalent and brought over, I think, even from Dutch settlers that was set into New York State. So we knew rye better than we knew bourbon. So once the Prohibition kicked in, uh, all those distilleries went out of business. And when people came back to drinking whiskey in the United States, bourbon was really the prevalent uh, spirit. So rye never really took back off, which I think we've seen with all of these new re-emerging styles of rye, is that they are, you know, we don't necessarily would say empire is the style that was there, you know, in 1905, but at the same time, rye in New York was very, very prevalent. So Mm. that's kind of the idea of bringing back something to New York that goes back to growing heritage, that goes back to spirit heritage, um, and that really showcases the state well. So now we can have something like Tennessee whiskey, like Kentucky bourbon, but we can make it right in New York. And similarly, you have to make it in New York. That's the only option if you want to be a part of the group.
0: Yeah, and that's that's one of those things that you know bourbon geeks kind of get off on the United States. But the, the reality of, of it is, is that rye rye is historically the first major spirit in the United States. It is. It's just like that's yeah. the that's the anthropology of it. That's the way it has been. Um, I guess we can lay claim to it being our native spirit bourbon because it utilizes corn, which is native to the United States, North America, uh, whereas, you know, rye was brought here as a a similar thing. But neither here nor there. So, um, it, you know, yeah. we've, we've talked about it. What is empire rye? Like, how, how are we defining it now? I mean, you said it's not necessarily what empire rye, what New York rye might have been pre-prohibition, yeah. but, but you, you've got a definition now.
1: Yeah, so it's at least 75 percent rye that's New York state uh, you've got to use that New York State rye. It kind of goes back on the farm license that's available here. The other 25% of the grain, you can do whatever you want. Um, we are barreling at no more than 115 proof. We are two years of age once it comes out of the barrel at the bare minimum, uh, and then it does have to be made in New York State. So I think those are pretty much the big key points. Mm-hmm. So for instance, you know we're we're heavy rye. You know we are going 94% rye. We're just shy of doing an MGP style. Uh, and again, that Danko, that New York state style of, right. It does offer different characteristics than uh, I think, you know, going back to that idea of terroir people debate mm-hmm. it in, in spirits. Um, I wholeheartedly believe it exists. I think it is something that does affect, you know, our climate changes, things, the grain that we're growing, we're growing the grain differently in the seasons we're playing with. I think it has a big effect on that final pour in the glass.
0: Yeah. I don't, I don't think you're wrong for sure. Um, and so whenever you're, Whenever you guys sat down, and I, maybe you were part of it, maybe you weren't, but whenever somebody sits down to say, "Okay, we're gonna hammer out some some kind of guardrails to what we want New York Rye or New York Grant, you know, New York Empire Rye to be," what is yeah. that process like? Did everybody already have an idea of it, or did you like sit down in a room like you're drafting the Declaration of Independence and yell at each other for like five days to come to the final solution?
1: So ironically, Black Button wasn't a part of the original concept meeting. Um, I think it was New York Distilling. I think it was Van Mm -hmm. Brunt. uh, I believe Tuttletown was a part of that and maybe Kings County. Um, The other two are Finger Lakes and ourselves that are a Mm -hmm. part of the original six that actually produced and started this idea. So it was a really New York City heavy start or Hudson Valley heavy start. And then we were two of the other large uh, prominent distilleries in the state. And when we all got connected, it just made sense that we could spread this across New York State if we worked together to create this. Um, But I think really, if we looked back kind of, where did it start? It really goes back to the farm license because Mm -hmm. we, all of us were a part of that. And when you start to look at, well, what's that opportunity in New York? Well, let's use this license that already exists to kind of help give us some guidelines to where we should go with. And that's going to be like the distillers who are in this are going to be following that New York heritage, that New York um, pledge to support New York state. So I think Mm -hmm. those things coming together made it a little bit easier. And then from there, it's, you know, go make the best rye you can make as a distiller within those guidelines.
0: Now, and, and this may be a loaded question. This may be the one where you tell me, I'm not going to answer that question. And so that's, that, that's perfectly fine. <laughs> um, You know, kind of looking at it, you know, so that it's 75% New York grain, Um, 25% can be any other grain, whatever you want to do with it. Um, Distilled at 160 proof, aged for two years, no more than 115 in, the, in, in barrel proof, and then mashed, fermented, distilled, barreled at a single New York distillery. Are yep. there any of those that you would change? If you were given an opportunity right now, say, we're going to change one of these, or, or do you feel like this is the right path?
1: I mean, honestly, I think it is the right path, uh, especially mm-hmm. our own practices. I mean, again, we're most of our spirit after a few years of aging is coming out at about 116 to 120. So mm-hmm. we're pretty comfortable going in at that 115 range. Um, I think that creates a good spirit in our climate. Uh, I mean, maybe you bump it up a little bit more, make it slightly more New York grain that would be the only thing that I would consider because uh, I know that's for us, you know, we're a hundred percent New York grain on our four grain, on our rye and all of our key spirits we're producing. We're using a hundred percent New York grain. It, it, that's the big difference maker, I think in empire rye and that farm front uh, license that we work with.
0: Yeah. And that's, so it's, it feels like any, cause I've I've had this discussion with other uh, distilleries about maybe say American single malt and, you know, the, the, the category that they're pushing forward and their definition, they feel good about it, except for the fact that it's a hundred percent, malted barley instead of just 100% yeah. malted grain of any type right so that it allows yeah. for kind of more exploration and so this feels like it gives you an appropriate set of guardrails but still leaves enough freedom where you don't end up with uh, another 150 distilleries making 95 5 rye which is still going to vary because you're looking at New York yeah. versus Indiana but is that variation as much as, as as opposed to what you guys are doing, which is 94.6. And personally my taste buds can taste a significant difference between 95.5 MGP rye and this um, in a positive way, at least for a bourbon drinker, because it just tastes a hell of a lot sweeter to me, which is yep. great. Um, but you can go all the way down to 75 or you go up to a hundred, you know, a hundred percent, whatever you wanted to do. It gives you some kind of ways to play, but I also noted in there, and, and maybe I read this wrong. Um, There is an opportunity to blend an empire rye if all of the components meet the standard of the rest.
1: I think it would be really interesting to do a project at some point now that we're getting a little more mature where, you know, maybe we go to Finger Lakes and we say, hey, you know what, let's do a blended project where we actually take our two empire ryes. We blend them together. Uh, I think that's going to be the exciting Mm -hmm. thing as we continue to grow this. You know, hey, in the 10 year anniversary, do we do we all come together and offer a percentage of our own juice and pull something together? You know, we're going to have to play around with that a little bit because you know we're we're big on blending. Uh, Jeff Fairbrother, who I work with on a daily basis, he's the production distiller day to day. Jason Barrett's the owner and founder and master distiller for the company. Um, Jeff and I are very strict about our blending. We take a lot of time. You know, we might go eight to ten rounds before we're happy with the blend. So mm-hmm. it would be fun to get that many talented palates and talented distillers in a room with everybody's juice and almost have somebody come out and blind percentage blend a few of these and just see what we were happy with. Um but that's a great thing. As long as we're all following it, if you can create a really cool ride based on using all our juice, that's that's an exciting idea.
0: Yeah. And that's that's kind of the direction I was heading. I was like, you know, because this is there there's a distinct opportunity where if you have, you know, a, a grouping and it it feels like it's mirroring some of the things that happen, you know, in, in Scotland with, with Scotch specifically. Um, where they have their guardrails, but then they have this ability to blend based off of their, all the components of the same thing. And and I really, I like that. And like I said, I, being the nerd that I am, I want to see the result of that experiment. You know, I see what a ton of um, blenders are doing. You know, I think about the, the guys at American Mashing Grain and they're doing yep. their own borrowed page blend, which is, you know, fantastic. And it's maybe, you know, kind of the ways that when the bourbon uh, bubble busts, right, Rye is going to still be standing. Blending is still going to be standing. Finishing is going to still be, but, but no, nobody's going to care as much about the mass quantities of MGP <laughs> bourbon that are sitting on the shelves. And so I want to see the yeah. innovation.
1: Well, I think that's cool when you talk about the blending idea there. I think people look at blending as a dirty word still.
0: and Exactly. And that's that. I think that's changing right now. I think we're going to see that in the next four to five years is going to change significantly.
1: Well, I think for some reason, I don't know why nobody realizes that the majority of the bourbon they drink is blended bourbon. The only, mm-hmm. you know, you can grab a single barrel. That's great. And we have single barrels, but my joke yep. is always that a single barrel is the best or the worst bourbon you've ever tried because yep. it has to be a perfect barrel. And most of them we find aren't perfect barrels. They need a little bit of help from the barrel next to another barrel, the other side.
0: Yeah. And that's, and I, and I would challenge that at least in, in my experience, most single barrels are the best ones that i've ever had and they have to be the worst for the distillery because now there's a different standard ex- of expectation for flavor on for my part you know if i'm not really thinking about it that your your blended products not going to meet but there's 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 people that are like um you know Penelope and Smoke Wagon that are making waves in the bourbon industry right now and that's all they blend they blend 100% so i i think that's changing and i think that um, people will probably feel even more comfortable when a distillery is saying we're just blending our own stuff or our partners that are nearby, and not like I'm buying you know a thousand barrels from MGP and creating a blend out of it. Which seems there's
1: different. nothing more exciting than when we do this blending process, and I take something from like you know let's just say it's 30, 30, 20, 20, right across mm-hmm. the board for the four tanks, and if I just go to twenty nine and a half on one tank and go to you know twenty nine and a half on the other, just to showcase, you start pulling out little half points from tanks or adding mm-hmm. one more they'll be, their mind gets blown by how much that can actually change. And they're like, this is the same barrels, the same blend, same mash bill, the same juice. And we're just tweaking it a touch and it can completely make or break a blend. And that showcases how much art goes into that to really create excellent bourbon for the shelf.
0: So when, when you do a blend, right, do you, do you blend and then taste it a day later or do you taste it right off? Like what is your process there?
1: So we're, uh, we're going to be working very like high school lab feel. So Mm -hmm. we'll come out, we'll, pull out the tanks. We'll go into a thousand uh, or I guess a, a liter uh, cylinder, pull those out, the four tanks, and then we'll actually break things down into an Erlenmeyer flask uh, with a spinner plate and a magnet. So we're blending it and actually doing that on the spinner to help combine the juice a little bit. Um, we don't want it to kind of layer and sit. So we want to get those flavors to meld. So we can actually showcase what we believe blending together and letting a tank sit for three or four days is going to actually be. So Mm -hmm. the tanks you work with today, those are the tanks we're going to blend off of. That's going to stay the same. We're not going to add more barrels to that until we make your blend. Once we add new barrels, even though it could be one barrel, but it's just enough, we want to make sure we're matching that. So that's how we kind of continue to be able to blend everything together, give you the full experience that day when you're blending.
0: Okay. Yeah, because I've, 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 I've talked to different people, you know, I've talked to the guys from Penelope, I've talked to the guys from um, Borrowed Page or American Mash and Crane, and, you know, sometimes they'll, they'll create a blend, and they'll taste it, and then they'll taste it two days later, and then four days later, and you kind of see yeah. it kind of evolve over a, a pattern of time, and you kind of, you know, you, you don't know exactly when it's going to stop changing, but, you know, kind of introducing the idea of, well, we can scientifically probably solve some of this, or at least get a lot closer without having to sit on it for a week or, or whatever uh, needs to occur. Um, yep. So you, you guys have settled on 115 as um, your, what you would prefer to do. And that's also what the, the empire Rye needs to be. Um, and, and, we we had this kind of wonderful experiment that came out of Maker's Park in the last year where they said, All right, here's our stuff. We normally do one ten, but here it is at one fifteen at one twenty and one twenty-five. And ultimately, at least in my mindset, they proved that one ten was the right choice for them. Um it, did you guys run through trial and error to get to one fifteen, or just because you're like, This is this is where we're gonna be? Like how do you settle at one fifteen?
1: It's an interesting question. So this is going to be one of those when I'll say the days prior to Alex working at Black Button Distilling, there was definitely a decision made. um, But I know that we're comfortable with that decision and we haven't made a change yet. (laughs) So I I would assume we've trialed a lot of things. So my guess would be there was some trial and some, you know, looking back, talking to other distillers. Uh, But the other side of it, I mean, honestly, Jason, when he was starting, he went and learned from like dry fly out in Spokane. Uh, He went and did, you know, Michigan State. He went to Cornell and he studied under them he might've just been building his recipe kind of based on some of the background he was picking up from other distillers and from the the study he was doing. So I'm not a hundred percent, which way we got to 115, but I know we've been there for a long time and uh, mm-hmm. we're really comfortable with how the juice is coming out with that.
0: Um, and so, you know, the, 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 the distilling process puts you in a situation where you, you um, you know, you come out, come out of the still, you go into the barrel at 115 proof, you're coming out of the still, um, no higher than 160 proof. So you're having to proof down. Yeah. And then whenever you come out of the barrel, you're likely proofing down again because this Empire I is sitting at, I think, 96 proof. Is that correct?
1: Yep, that one right there is 96.
0: Yeah, and so there's this 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 concept of proof dilution that happens. And, and in the FAQ section, you guys talk about how, you know, you think that having to proof dilute with less water has more impact and can, can you kind of expand on what that, what how you feel that impacts?
1: So we talk about proof a lot. I think even over the last year we've, uh, or two years, uh, I have along with Jeff have been spending a lot of time debating at what proof we want a lot of our market items to go out at. Um, we don't change the 84 proof. That's, that's Jason's kind of starting point. That's always been our flagship. Um, but we used to do our cask at 110 proof. So we actually used to take our cast strength down a touch And I think a lot of that was we were liking where it was at 110. It's easier because I don't have to post a new proof every single time we release a new release with New York State. Mm -hmm. Um, But recently, we started deciding to let's let the juice speak for itself when it comes to like cast strength releases. So I've got a couple of single barrels of rye that are 117 proof. At the same time, we still wanted to have this rye that you're tasting for the market and not have to increase the cost too much. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're already at $75 a bottle, which for the process and for the ingredient and for what goes into it, we do believe is competitive just based on how much goes into making that bottle. But we actually took it from 84 proof to 96 without changing the price. And we're just really excited for the change in characteristic. It did open up a lot more flavor. It brought in a little bit more richness overall. And I think it really let the rice speak a little bit better. So I I am definitely of the world of a little bit higher proof is going to open up the spirit. But mm-hmm. I am also the world that high proof is not always the best for the spirit. There is a fine line to ride there.
0: Yeah. And, you know, uh, the further you get into whiskey, the more likely you're to end up being a, you know, a proof hound where you're like, oh, I need to have the most proofy thing that's out there because if I want to water it down, I will. Um, but <laughs> none of us are professionals. Uh, well, yeah. most most of us aren't professionals, and maybe we should probably trust people who work in a distillery and say, "Hey, this came out of the barrel at 137 proof, but it doesn't taste good at that. Like, it tastes good. Like, we know where yeah. the proof needs to be, and we'll proof it down and get it down to 115, and it's delicious. And mm-hmm. you know, like, there's there's very few places where we're regularly second guessing the 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 quality of somebody's decision making you know like i'm not standing back in the kitchen at a restaurant saying eh, no flip that steak for me right now flip it you know <laughs> um, but whiskey nerds kind of get yeah. off on that conversation for sure um so the the empire rye whiskey association um has their own emblem right and yep. you get to stick it on the bottle whenever you do that and obviously there's some some um trademarking copywriting. I don't even know exactly what the legal term would be. Um, sure. Is there an interest in ever trying to put that into a actual standard that is kind of on the books with, you know, TTB or New York or whatever.
1: I actually don't know what the next steps would be for the association. I, if I were to look at it, I would hope so. Um, I think that it, if the style continues to grow, I mean, again, we only have what just shy of 30 distilleries right now that are either in or committed to do it. So, mm-hmm. but Let's just say that people across, you know, you're in Kentucky, you're talking about Empire Rye. That's exciting. Mm -hmm. Uh, I know Breaking Bourbon podcast, they've talked about it. So like when you start seeing guys, you know, yourselves, you know, podcasts in the whiskey industry that are talking about Empire Rye, that's great. I would say half a percent of the whiskey consumer in our country and probably less has actually ever heard of Empire Rye, let alone try one. Mm -hmm. So it would be hard for us to make that a standard right now. I think we just want to let enough people either experience it in New York State or get involved. Uh, but I think making it a standard, you know, in five or 10 years when I would love for half of the whiskey nerds to have heard of it, mm-hmm. I'm going to tighten that up. Let's go with the nerds. Cause they're more likely to be the ones that find it rather than someone that just picks up Jack Daniels. And that's the only thing they've ever heard. of. Right. <laughs> yeah.
0: And that's a real, real common occurrence. I mean, that we are really talking about a sub segment of the marketplace, but I know, um, you know, yeah. specifically when, when American single malt commission decided to start taking their um, standard forward, now you're in this position where kind of when they began the idea, there weren't that many American single malt distilleries in the United States. But by the time sure. they get to the TTB, there's a lot, and everyone has an opinion, and and you're going to you know, kind of buck up yeah. against it if your American single malt doesn't meet that standard, right? There's nothing preventing yeah. someone from slapping the word Empire Rye on their label. They just can't yep. use the the little – they can't use the emblem that is a part yep.
1: of it, right? Exactly. And I think that you're right. Like the single malt, the American single malt is still fighting. Um, mm-hmm. I still actually don't know that they've actually gotten that broken through, but they're close. I think we're getting there. And i Yeah, love they're on their second idea. round of public
0: comment, I think.
1: And it, that's the other side of it. It's like, are, are we even ready to go there? Even though I think right. ours is a little bit, it's a little clear. I mean, look, we're yeah. not going up against a style that is set in Scotland. We're not going up against a national mm-hmm. style. We're talking mm-hmm. about a style for a state. We could probably get it through a little bit easier. It's a little more yeah. cut and dry, but I like to believe that anytime we submit something to the TTB, it's going to be that easy. And I don't think I've experienced that once in my life. <laughs> so, but I do love what you were talking about with the the single malt taking itself beyond malted barley, being mm-hmm. an open to malt grain, because if we're going to create a style in America, let it open up. There's no reason right. not to malted rye, malted barley, malted whatever. I mean, there's, there's millions of grains we could try.
0: malted corn, you know, there, 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 there are things out there. Um, and so can maybe, maybe dovetailing off of that slightly. And you mentioned dry sure. fly and, you know, I'm I'm a big fan of the Triticale wheat uh whiskey that they made. And so that's kind of like a weird grain that exists out there. And and I had some some friends that I put on a blind and we ran through and I said, you know, I'm gonna educate you. This is this is what corn whiskey tastes like, this is what bourbon tastes yep. like, this is what bourbon with high rye, and this is what bourbon with high wheat tastes like. And I'm like, Yep, now I'm gonna give you this last one and you tell me which one you think it is. You know, like is it a corn whiskey that has rye or is it have wheat in it? Like what's in here? And obviously because The grain of triticale is a hybrid of rye and wheat. It picks up some of the characteristics and does something slightly different. And so they're all confused. And it was like a fun event, but it's a weird grain that exists. Is there anything that's like a a New York staple of grain that you guys aren't making whiskey with that you wish you were? Is there something in the market that, man, like I want to chase that down as an experiment? Because you were talking about experimental series.
1: Yeah. For uh, for New York style grains, we haven't gotten down that road yet to go incredibly mm-hmm. specific to something that grows in New York, but we would not think to go that way. Uh, but we have been starting to talk. Triticali is a great example. We've, we have we <laughs> have kicked that around. Like, do we want to go down that route? Um, we, we've been so set to our grain That's been our mash bill since day one. That's what we've done. We're just starting now, You know, we, we're starting to have some three grain mash bills, either you know, a contract project we had done for somebody that maybe they didn't want all the barrels, but we have an opportunity to take back that juice and put it out into the market because it is our juice. We made it, You know, it's a mash bill we work with. Um, we do a pre-pro mash bill. That's our main three grain. That's like an 80, 10, 10, corn, rye and malted barley. Um, that's kind of where we started to say, let's get away, let's not get away from four grain. It's our main grain, but let's look at what else there is. I know we've talked about like chocolate malt like, what could we do mm-hmm. with like a chocolate malt in a bourbon? Um, again, what can we do with a high rye? What can we do with like, could we do a malted rye? You know, could we play around with, you know, different malted grains as well? So we're starting to turn that corner. We're just starting to kind of think about that and see what else we can come up with.
0: And I, I love the chocolate malt idea because, I mean, I've, I've had other people that have done some things with chocolate malt and it's, and it's delicious yep. and it kind of fits right into the, to the whiskey thing. And you said you guys do a pre-pro uh, mash bill and now we're talking about pre-prohibition. Right, So to identify that as and like, how do you say like this is a pre-prohibition uh, mash bill?
1: Just something that I think Jason, when he came up with it, he'd actually read about a mash bill very similar to what we had done as something mm-hmm. that was being made pre-pro. And again, we're looking for something that's a lot higher corn for a bourbon mash bill that was done prior. I mean, the four grains, you know, we only started really seeing them become popular in the last ten or fifteen years. Mm-hmm. So even when we came out with our four grain mash bill, there weren't a ton on the marketplace. And now, obviously. BH e. Taylor has their four grain that everyone goes after. And beyond that, there's a number of <laughs> New York distilleries that have or are coming out with four grains. So I think that really heavy wheat backbone is starting to become more prevalent, mostly probably because people are so in love with wheaters at this point. That's like, <laughs> hey, what if we create kind of a wheater and we'd put that out into the marketplace?
0: Now, do you guys make a uh, 100% wheat whiskey of any kind?
1: We don't. And I don't recall seeing anything on the barrel sheet right now. I know we're going to come out with a couple different, I think we're coming out with a higher wheat. Uh, three grain mash bill, something that's been Mm -hmm. sitting in, again, something that may or may not ever actually get into a bottle, depending on how we like it when it gets through the warehouse. Uh, But most likely that'll come out either as a release for the tasting room or, you know, a few barrels makes it out. Um, We've got a high rye mash bill that's sitting in the warehouse right now. Um, I think something in like the range of 27% rye in the mash bill. Um, And that's more like Jeff, our distiller. He, He has a strong belief in what should be a high rye for the number to call it that.
0: So, um, w- whenever you, you you get down to do to, I think you sort of described this. When you get down to doing a blend, you've dumped sure. barrels that didn't necessarily make it into your single barrel program. Is that a correct statement? Like you're like these are these are good, maybe not great. Um, when you're selecting for your single barrel program, are you looking for things that are weird, or are you looking for things that are kind of like the 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 best version of what you guys make? Because I know with clubs, they're all sort of different. You know, people that go in and want to pick a single barrel or a retailer. Sometimes they yeah. want something that tastes like the, the standard expression, but elevated. But then there's those other people that are like, I don't know what this is, and I want to taste it again. Like, this doesn't make any sense. Like, is it, like how do you pick what goes into your program?
1: Yeah, I mean, I would say that what we've looked at is, it, we have thought that we would never look at what's on the weirder side of things. But mainly, we are focusing more on kind of what's the most complete. Mm-hmm. And what showcases all of those main characteristics, you know, if we're looking at the the sweet characteristics, the spice, the oaks, we're looking for all of those in a really complete manner that almost is the barrel itself is basically representing what a blend could do. So when we get that really complete single barrel, that's what makes its way through the program. And that's what actually gets that labeling.
0: Okay, and so do you guys do any experience with advanced aging? Do you have anything that's you know because you're, you're sitting anywhere from three, four, five, six, seven years? You know, you guys have been around roughly ten-ish years. Maybe it may be me. Um,
1: yeah, some. Oh,
0: are you still there? Okay, you I just
1: lost out? my headphones on you. Hold on a second. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Go ahead. I Think we're back. Hey, right. There we go. Can, can you hear me now? Yes. No. I can hear you. Oh, Who knows? <laughs> I'm all good, yeah. You can, all right. Um, <laughs> sorry about that, John.
0: <laughs> no, 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 that's fine. Um, so you guys have been around for 10-ish years now. Um, do you have any advanced age uh, stuff? Are you guys looking yep. to do advanced age?
1: We do have some stuff that's going to sit around. Uh, right now, the oldest we've released is about seven years. We put that into a blend for our anniversary bottling. So a couple of six-year, 30 gallons, and then a 10-year, 53 – or seven-year, 53, sorry – that was our oldest barrel that ever got put out. Um, I think we might see some seven and eight-year-olds come out next year when we come into the new space. Uh, but it's still going to be limited. Most of our 30-gallon our barrels we like to keep between four to six years, kind of at the max when we start to age those out. They just become too tannic, too oaky. We start to lose some of the characteristic. Um, same when we were doing 15s, you know, three to four really kind of peaked it out. Our assumption is most of our 53s are going to be somewhere between about, you know, five if they're just stellar right at that point and probably about eight, um, but we will have a few that'll sit around till 10 years, if not a little bit longer.
0: Mm-hmm. So you, you've mentioned that you've got 30 gallon and 50, uh, 53 gallon barrels. Do you guys uh, continually? Oh, I'm sorry, room? John,
1: my headphones just keep going out on me, <laughs> <That's fine. laughs> I might just take them off.
0: All right. Um, well, so while Alex is getting his audio sorted out here, um, I will share that they graciously um, sent me some uh, Empire Rye, Rye whiskey here. Um, and it, and it carries a 96 or 94% no, uh, rye content, 6% malted barley, which is, you know, sort of eerily similar to this MGP mash bill that exists out there that a ton of people are using. But this is significantly different, um, at least from my particular palate. And after I tasted through it, I went and <laughs> read some folks that I respect like David over at, uh, whiskey in my wedding ring. And, uh, he, uh, he had some similar notes. Are you able to hear me again?
1: Let's try it again. I don't know. My okay. headphones are being really finicky today.
0: <laughs> no, it's perfectly fine. It's perfectly fine. I was just uh, kind of rolling through. You guys were super gracious enough to send me some some sample here, and with it being a ninety four uh, six, very similar to the ninety five five, um, you know that can take most whiskey people and put them in a state like, oh, well, I think I have an idea how this is going to taste and. Um, yep. I don't I don't know what your particular thing is, but whenever I stuck my nose into this, it was like I felt like if if uh Chewing Gum Company were to make a sort of cinnamon uh, gum, okay, this would be it. Like this is Bubblicious and cinnamon mixed together to me. It's like a super sweet candy, light fruit nose to me with just a hint of cinnamon, which usually is what I get from from rye. Um, okay. But then whenever I taste it, it was like a black pepper candy. A little bit of effervescence, and then on the finish, and this may sound weird, I, I get in trouble because sometimes like things are nostalgic for me and people are like, oh my god, that's sure. a terrible note. But like uh, an old wallet, right? So you, like, you buy a brand new leather wallet yep. and it has a really distinct leather smell to it, but after yep. you've worn it and used it for a while, it sort of loses the like really over overbearing portion of leather and you get like a more yep. subtle refined leather smell and, and and that's what this finished taste is for me like you know because if i say oh it finishes like an old leather leather wallet that sounds terrible but it's like it's just a it's a, a refined leather to me.
1: but i don't think that actually sounds terrible because ironically enough we'll we'll talk about like musty barn being uh-huh. something like if we get i think it's, it has to do with barrel size so i i'm really interested as we've been trying you know 15s to 30s uh same juice same mash bills whatever it is the like a 15 Mm -hmm. might get more aggressive on that leathery that kind of musty mature oak because it has such a tight circumference as you pick up into the 30s uh the grain might pick up a little bit more and it's starting to take more of a lead which may create more of the sweetness for you but still it's there because it's a smaller barrel that you're getting some of that leather some of that kind of higher character that tobacco sometimes even on the higher proof so i think you're right on point uh, I think that makes total sense. I also get a lot of dill in here, which is something that one of our distillers said, and now I can't take it out of my mind.
0: <laughs> usually, whenever people get a lot of dill, I get a little more effervescence than I do dill, um, and and that may come from like just growing up in a in a in a family that did a ton of canning when I was a kid, and so there was okay. just like a like dill is a really 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 strong flavor to me because of the volume of it, but usually in a whiskey, it's not what i imagine like when i would go out and cut dill out of our backyard to come in yeah, yeah. and put in and make dill pickles right because that's a very very distinct smell but um sure. but it gets sort of a i don't know it, like a weird sensation on the inside of your mouth that comes across as effervescence for me but you've mentioned so far 15 gallons 30 gallons and 53 gallon barrels do you guys yep. continually mix barrels on a regular basis or is this uh you started in 15s you graduated to 30s and then you moved to 53s
1: It's mostly that. Um, We still do lay down a few 15s. Generally projects we want to see aged a little bit quicker to kind of get a feel for what they're going to be. And I think rye is really interesting to me, especially New York rye. I'm finding that stuff that's closer to what we're at because you're tasting a three-year-old rye pretty Mm -hmm. much right on the nose that was 36-month-old when it got dumped. I think there's fantastic notes on rye that don't need to go five and 10 years old. Uh, I Mm -hmm. think it's specific to that grain and that spirit that it can be held a little bit younger. Um, and even us for bourbon, based on our process, I mean, we're we're putting the highest quality distillate we can off the still into some of the best barrels we can buy. I mean, we work with Barrel Mill out of Minnesota um, and then Adirondack uh, out of Remsen, New York. The quality of those barrels at the at the mash that's going in, it's just it's creating such great spirit and character, even at, you know, three or four to five years on a bourbon and two or three years on rye. So right now, mostly it was just 15s and 30s for bourbon based on. You know, we needed stuff to age. We wanted to be making it from day one. Mm -hmm. And now as we're able to afford to lay more down, we moved up to the 53s. You know, we can wait the five plus years to get it out. Um, We just don't like to release anything that at that time, we don't believe it's the best quality we can put out that day. Mm
0: And do you guys do any bonded product?
1: Uh, We've got just, we do one right now. We're doing a bourbon uh, at a tasting room only. So Mm -hmm following all the basic standards. I think the most recent one was a couple of six year old barrels that got put down hundred proof, same season, Mm -hmm. one distiller, all of those pieces. But to be honest, I mean, we, without saying it, like we were doing our pre pro this time around at a hundred proof. And if we had wanted to most of those barrels, we could have pulled them out of the same season. One distiller, we could have followed all the right standards. So,
0: and it's, I I think it's, it's a, it's a standard that a lot of people will kind of like get really excited about, but I think it meant a ton more, you know, 30 years ago than it does today um, because, yeah. you know, the 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 ability to blend um, inside of a single season is significantly larger because there's just more whiskey that's out there. But one of the things yeah. that just kind of like it caught my brain and I, I didn't ask it earlier. Now I feel stupid for it. Um, so in your Empire rye standards of identity, you don't mention whether it has to be new or used barrels, new new or used cooperage.
1: I, I don't think gotcha. is that
0: correct. Is that correct?
1: I'm pretty sure it's in there. Uh okay. I know like we use new oak uh for all of this. I mean we for anything that we're going to start all of our bourbon is going to be on new oak initially. That's step one. Um occasionally we'll rebarrel something if we think it needs a little help we'll put it into a barrel that's been used or we'll double barrel into completely fresh barrels. Um, That might allow us to twist the proof a little bit. Maybe we'll drop down the proof a little bit if we think same kind of we talked about, that this would barrel better at 106 proof, that it would barrel better at a different proof. Uh, but all of our bourbon, it begins on New Oak. All of our rye always has New Oak. Um, it just depends if we're going to finish on something else.
0: Yeah, it is in there. I just did a terrible job of copy and pasting on them on notes. I went ahead and opened it over here. <laughs> it literally is like aged for a minimum of two years in charred new oak barrels. Like here, here it is. Right there. I was yeah. Just, yeah I, <laughs> but when I copied it over here, I just have aged two years. Like I just did a terrible yeah. job of copying and paste, just bad journalism. Good thing I don't do this for a living. <laughs> um, so, it, you know, and, and, you know, kind of one of the other growing trends is um, unique wood finishes. Um, is that, yep. is that anything that you guys are like, do, do you have any access to that with Adirondack or, or, or any of your barrel suppliers?
1: So like I said, we're doing a port finish. We've been doing that for a long time. Uh, as far as some of the standard X spirit finishes, we've been doing a lot of that. Um, mm-hmm. We're playing around with some stave finishing. Uh, we mm-hmm. work with a company out of France actually that has some French oak staves that they've offered to us. So, you know, maybe like they call it like an intense. Uh, I think it's it's complex. Mm-hmm. It's intense. And there's one other that we've done. Um, so mm-hmm. we're kind of interested to see what that does. They add some really unique. And I mean, when I talk in the intense, I mean it is tannic as all hell. Like it, it is That's, extremely tannin forward.
0: You you just you just put me on a wait list at this point, right? Because I, I am a, a very huge fan of French oak finishes. Okay. Um. Anybody that does one, I'm really really interested in. Um. Because if it like, it's one of those things that whenever people get into um whiskey, or sort of they get into to spirits, so you get into wine, whatever it happens to be. Um, yep People generally start with a, you know, a sweet wine or whatever, but when I got in, I I was, I was really interested in give me the most bitter, tannic, driest thing you can possibly come across. That's what I want. Um, That's, that's what I'm interested in drinking. And so then whenever French oak became a thing, you know, when, when makers 40 sticks started doing their stuff, um, I was like, okay, this is, this is interesting. But then everyone else started picking it up and I, I love what it does. I love what it does with whiskey. You know, there's, there's a spice, there's a dry, there's a tannic, there's a, yeah, it's it's distinctly different. Not everybody loves it, but I'm sure. now, now I'm I'm on this list of don't make this a distillery only release because I'm in Kentucky. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I think if we did release something like that, it would probably fall into the experimental program we're working on. So there would be some online bottles I could let you know.
0: Yes, a- absolutely. um That one and the only other like there's a ton of wood that kind of there's you know people that are doing chinkapin oak. Mizunar mm-hmm. or whatever, but this Amburana. Have you had any of the whiskey that's in Amburana barrels? It's like a Brazilian tree.
1: I'm bl- I think I have had one in the past. I might be thinking of something else, um, but what yeah. do you find in that character?
0: I don't know. <laughs> it, okay. it is It is one of the most confusing and beautiful things. I had a um, okay. a sample of it from... I can't even remember who sent it to me, but somebody sent me a sample of one and I took and I've got a local liquor store that I'm friends with the manager there. And anytime I get something in that somebody sends to me, I'll take him a sample. And, um, he took it home and, uh, texted me that night. He's like, where can I get a bottle? Right. That's where we're at is a liquor store owner is now looking for a bottle of a thing you can't find, but, um, that's neither here nor that's like a significant aside, but, um French Oak. It sounds ochres. like a
1: Starlight kind of product. Like I feel like Starlight. Yeah, it, was, guys. It, have... So you're, you're exactly yes,
0: it was a Starlight. And it was a, a friend from yep. Lexington sent me a Starlight. They're not the only ones. I think Rare Character has done one. Um okay. there's a that few other folks fun. that have done these. I mean, well, I guess, you know, Rare Character or someone on their behalf. You know, they're they're sure. you know, non-distilling producer. But it's a it's a really interesting finish. And in wood finishes, I think they're more friendly to me than you know, like port all day long but when you start getting into oh i'm, yep. I'm doing a a, a a pinot noir finish unless you're american single malt, it doesn't make sense at least not in my mindset um what else do i have oh um, i don't know that i've got anything else and we're, we're pushing right up on the end of that hour um is there anything that we haven't covered yet that we need to you know i guess we need the we need the where do i go to buy and yeah. that is black black button.com or where, where are we at
1: Glad you that's like the one thing i always forget at the end of one of these um mm-hmm. yeah so blackbuttondistilling.com it's the easiest place to go um mm-hmm. if you're local to rochester or around the new york area there's a way to just come pick up at the distillery if not mm-hmm. um, we ship to many states so uh, but if you go in and you try to put yourself in that it'll let you know if we can or can't ship to you mm-hmm. uh other than that you know you can follow us on facebook you know we're just at blackbuttondistilling uh, at both facebook instagram uh, and mm-hmm. keep up with us i mean over the next year it's going to get pretty exciting with the new space um, there's some really cool projections online if you go back a little bit um, it will be announcing and releasing more about that new space over the next six to eight months
0: i assume with the new space you'll have some sort of a grand opening experience people need to come out and like you know shake all the hands kiss all the babies drink all the wisdom. We're open to have
1: many of those we're open to have a number for local you know get a little mm-hmm. bigger so we can start to kind of cold open with different groups but yeah we'll if the timeline holds. I'm hoping we'll be in there by the middle of the summer.
0: Middle of the summer. All right. That's not, that would be a good time to be moving instead of like, you know, January or February. I mean, it might be better to move in the spring when it's not as hot, but it's Rochester. I mean, how hot does it actually get in the summer? I, I don't know.
1: We've never broken 100 degrees in Buffalo. So ah. if you want to ever get an idea, we, <laughs> we've, made, we've done 99, but we've never gotten to the triple digits. So I, I know that's a little different than where you're at. Yeah. So it's we, some pretty we, massive temperature swings out here.
0: Yeah, we 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 definitely swing above a hundred on a regular basis, and it's like swimming in humidity. Um, but you know, it is what it is. Um, I appreciate you for joining me, and thank you for the sample. This is absolutely delicious. I've already broke off the the little piece of it that I've got to take to the local liquor store owner. And be like, hey, try this. Um, you know, you may not be able to sell this in your store, but give this a, give this a taste because he's always interested in um, what's going on here. Um, I appreciate you taking an hour out of your day to hop on, you know, kind of discuss it with me. Anything you guys want to ever talk about again, always welcome to come back. I mean, you know, my, my followership isn't huge, but it's always available.
1: No, that's great. You know, we appreciate that you brought us on here, John. Sorry for some technical difficulties, but we got through, uh, (laughs) (laughs) look, that Um, is not the
0: worst. Yesterday, my internet completely crapped out in the middle of a live stream while I was talking to somebody else and it just, just stopped. So, you know, it could get worse. It could get worse.
1: So, no, we'd love to come back on. I know we'll have a lot more to talk about, but this is great. Empire Eye is something we're really proud to be part of.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, and we're for sure going to have to back you, have you back on because we've got to talk about the rest. We've only talked about Empire Rye here, so we've got to talk about bourbon. We've got to Absolutely. talk about uh, anything else. You know, there's there's an apple brandy vein in here that needs to be explored because, you know, yeah. brandy is one of those things that us in Kentucky don't know a ton about, but I'm interested in. So, you know, we'll, we'll do this again. Sounds great. Cool. All right, thanks for joining me. Thanks, John. All right. Thanks for tuning in for this offering from the Embellished Podcast. If you enjoyed this, please leave a review and uh, do it on whatever platform that you happen to be consuming this on. Leave a comment if possible. Hit me up on social media, Twitter or Instagram using Embellish Pod. Uh, give me a follow so you can keep up with what's going on here. I can be found at www.embellishpod.com with all of my links, accounts and contact details. I'll be back again next week with another new offering for you. So until then, cheers and thanks for hanging out.